Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. We're going to bring y'all into our huddle. You are in Where's Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, my producer Marcus. What's up, Dev Nation? No Maxime today, unfortunately enough, but I am fired up to announce that rejoining us, the Golden State beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a man who covers every Warriors practice, press conference, shoot, around, and game, and a guy who isn't afraid to use the term woman of the night while telling stories about money Mayweather, <laughs> Mr. Connor Letourneau. What's going on, Connor? Hey, thanks for having me. Of I course, appreciate that intro. Of course, man. I was like really fired up to say it. When we first saw you coming in, I almost used it then. I was that excited, but I was somehow able to hold it back. Um, we've got big things to talk about, man. A whole lot of warrior stuff. Let's start with the most important question, something that's been pressing a lot on my mind. On a scale of one to like disgustingly noticeable, how bad is the stain on my shirt? I was tempted to say you something. Noticed, you earlier. noticed it right from the beginning. All right, so I mean, give me a number. It's, a, it's a stain in a weird place. It too. is. It's it like is. right on your belly button. Yeah, it's... no, it's a little bit to the left of the belly button. And I mean, that will soon be covered by the sweat I plan on having in the next five to ten minutes. At least but... your shirt is not horrendous like that one. That's nice of you to from... say. Yeah, that's really nice of you to say. This was not an invitation to <laughs> house my outfits. It was only a question about an in particular stain so that you can hate Connor along with me. Uh, this is months back, but we met for a drink and somewhere, I don't know, moments before I saw him, I looked down and realized I was wearing this shirt that I genuinely speaking hate. I mean, like really hate. I'm sure we all have that one shirt we're not so confident about. And before I can make a joke about it to Connor, he says something along the lines of, that's the ugliest shirt I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so, I mean, like that's the background we're dealing with here. It was like... A show from a, a Macy's catalog, or a shirt from a Macy's catalog in like the mid 1990s. I'm sorry, am I not doing a good enough job of shazzing myself? None of these were, hey, Connor, please pile on. I started off with a comment about a stain on my shirt, you bastard. Well, if, uh, if there's a better indicator of how badly the Warrior season is going, then we can spend the first five minutes talking about my shirt and the problems I'm having with my wardrobe as opposed to the Warriors. I'm not sure what it is, boys, but uh, we certainly have some Warrior stuff to talk about. I appreciate that you guys haven't just 
stop the podcast. Oh. You're just like, the season's over, we're done. We're just... With all due respect, when you've been living in a dream world, buddy, the Warriors team that you've been covering doesn't happen. I feel way more comfortable in this environment. The Warriors have been this team my entire life, you know? So, no, we haven't shut it down, and hopefully it's only a one-year deal. Um, but before we start venturing into the ins and outs, X's and O's, let's start with a segment I generally love, the Off the Court Report. Idea is easy. I shut up, give you the mic. Any story, anything that uh, has cropped up over the last couple of weeks? You seen anything? Got anything for us? Um, I'm trying to think. There were, there's been a few kind of interesting things just, just from a, that hint at the fact that this team is a bunch of no names. I mean, even media members are having a hard time figuring out who these guys are. Uh, I remember in Houston about a week ago, standing next to to Stephen A. Smith, and he turned next turned toward me and a group of people and was like, "Who are these guys?" Like, and it wasn't like jokingly; it was like genuinely, "Who are these guys?" Like, I need to do my homework right now ahead of this nationally televised game that I'm about to go on Sports Center for against the Rockets, which was scheduled when everyone thought these were going to be two very relevant sure. teams. Um, he genuinely, I don't think, knew who Kai Bowman was, who was the starting point guard that night. And I can't blame him. I mean, that's that's where we're at. Are you watching the media go through a transition? I mean, let me let me define that. I mean, I, I having gone to practices last year, you go in there and it's the preeminent location in the NBA. And everybody knows that, you know, the Manny Pacquiao is coming in and visiting for no reason. You're like rap star, I mean, whatever. Yeah. It was the spot to go to. And the media recognized that as well. And then this year happens, certainly not the go to spot. But I would imagine that you don't make that realization immediately there's got to be you know like a good month of transition where people are still expecting a good team and then are shocked to find a bad one am i wrong on that i mean like are it's you been see- super jarring just because it happened so quickly yeah, right. i mean you you go from entering the season with you know maybe they have an outside chance of, of mm-hmm. winning the title they're definitely gonna make the playoffs right. at least right. right i mean as long as steph stays healthy and then even before steph gets injured it's like, dang, this yeah. team's really not very good. And then he gets injured. It's like, okay, uh, number one pick. Um, that's just that's the the buzz now. Um, and just from a from being around every day, you know, I'm a guy who I'm I was hired as their beat writer right after they signed Durant. So I was kind of in this charmed reality sure. for three years where I knew I was going to cover multiple All Stars in the All Star game, and I knew I was going to be covering the NBA Finals come June and. Now we're in a situation where I'm already thinking about where am I going to go in May because yep. I'm going to have time to go on vacation, you know? Oh, and and uh, it's been weird just being around the team on a daily basis because I don't know any of these guys. I mean, I've been around the team for this is my fourth year, and I don't know any of them because they're not any of the same guys. Yep. Uh, you know, the Warriors don't have a policy where when a guy's injured, they expect you to travel or really be around the team at all. So Steph's barely been around. Clay's barely been around. When Draymond was injured, he was barely around. Uh, Kevon Looney. And so, you know, there, were a, there was a stretch of games there where they didn't have a single player from last year's playoff team available. And... It's like almost like covering a different team because I don't 
know these guys There's on no a personal almost level. about it. It literally is covering a different team. I mean, what you're saying yeah. is literally the roster is completely different. It's like getting used to for five years taking a Tesla to work every day with no traffic, you know, like maybe you even had a, a butler driving you. And then somewhere along the line, that Tesla loses two uh, wheels, doesn't drive anymore, and now you have to take public transit. And it all happens like literally in a single yeah. evening. Everything just bottoms and the, out. And the last it. road trip was kind of weird because Draymond wasn't on the trip and obviously Steph and Clay weren't on the trip. And it just felt like being around kind of a G League team or a college team, you know, and they're all really nice guys who are just kind of trying to prove themselves, but they're not very vocal. And it was really quiet, almost eerily quiet around shoot arounds and practice. And it's like, this is weird, man. This is so weird. And you have Eric Pascal, who number 41 pick in the draft in June who is has become the de facto face of this rebuild and he's talking to us multiple times every day and it's like how is this reality like he's a good player don't get me wrong but he is like the go-to guy and we will i'm really interested in talking about him his personality i want to get to know these guys but here's where i wanted to go with the off the court part and we've set it up perfectly fans have somewhat pivoted you know, I mean, and I can speak personally and certainly for the podcast, but we expected, just like you were saying during the offseason, we didn't expect a championship. We expected a playoff team. And then somewhere during the first three or four games, we realized, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And now I think we're viewing it as an 82 game training camp. The fans are. You know, we're okay with it. We can take this season off and we know or hope at least that we get back to contention next year. And I believe that. So the vibe around us. You know, like we're kind of joking around it. I'm not fired up to watch the games, but it's not gloom and doom. It's, you know, it's a, it's a pause. What's the vibe around the team? I mean, are they getting pissy? Are, is, are they optimistic? I mean, how would you describe the environment? It's surprisingly light um, and, and carefree and, and positive um, because you have to keep in mind most of these guys who are playing big minutes right now are just happy to be there. You know, they're just happy to have a chance to, yep. to play in the NBA and prove themselves. You know, guys like Kai Bowman, Damian Lee before he got injured. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is just happy to not be in Sacramento. Uh, you know, there's all the, you know, Eric Paschal, Jordan Poole. Uh, you go down the list and they just seem genuinely, you know, happy about the opportunity. Um, but there are a couple guys, you know, Draymond Green being the obvious one who – is, has won his entire life, and I think it's been a real transition for him. And you've seen him kind of go through his ups and downs already in this in the season. You know, back to back days early in the season, he came out and said, "We effing suck," which is probably not the greatest thing to say about twenty two year old guys. No, that's are, not good. That's not team just, building. You know, <laughs> navigating the NBA for the first time. Um, but it seems like, from my perspective, it seems like he's almost kind of. I don't want to say resigned, but reality has set in at this point, and it's like we're just not good, and there's there's no point in me hating life, you know. Like I'm sure you guys have been in work situations that were not ideal, and it's like you can either throw a fit about it and hate yourself and and be depressed, or you can just kind of take it for what it is. And I think that that's kind of where they're at, Draymond. Uh, the assistant coach, Ron Adams, those guys, uh, Steve Kerr, who also has never really lost in his whole career. Um, that's kind of where they're at is this sucks, but 
it is what it is. Kerr's the only guy who's been dropping quotes, and Marcus and I were talking about this a little bit before the mics went hot. Um, but just recently, he's had a couple of quotes that suggested he's getting a little bit pissy about the lack of success. Not that he thinks yeah. they're going to be world beaters, but I think the way he put it is they should be winning at least a couple of these games via effort. Well, he also said, too, like as a coach, it's hard for him because he can't drop the hammer, right? He's like, if somebody has a bad play and he wants to take them out, to give him that teaching moment because they're young and need it. He doesn't have enough guys to do that. So he has to leave them in yep. any, or conversely, he can't reward somebody for playing well. He just has to keep them in and keep their rotation going. And it's, it seems like it'd be frustrating. How are you taking this yeah. as a fan? I mean, cause I, I really have, I've made the flip. I don't know if it's just a protective shell that I've gotten used to using over the last 30 years. But, you know, I'm looking towards the draft. This is all about June. We bring in Wiseman, hopefully. Welcome back to the Splash Brothers. And, you know, we're back on the Yellowbrick Road guy. to success. I don't even know anything about him. What what I have learned to do, Connor, literally through 30 years, was be insanely optimistic over things I know nothing about. Most of the time, college basketball. So the insanely optimistic person I know nothing about now is James Wiseman. And he is going to be incredible. He is also ineligible. <laughs> I saw that, but we don't care. We don't want him to play in the NCAA. That's fine by me. I saw somebody on Twitter say the Warriors are so damn good at tanking. They even have future Warriors not playing, which is which is just amazing tank. But for you, where are you at as a fan? How are you experiencing this? I'm with you guys. Like you said earlier, we kind of resigned ourselves to this season being a wash and it feels almost like a twilight zone. Like it doesn't yeah. seem like I'm watching the same team. I'm just watching guys audition for the eight, nine, ten roles on a team next year. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting to see like when they're scrappy and everybody's shot has fallen, it's fun because they stay in the game, but it's hard to watch some of these games when you know they're about to get blown it, out by thirty. It's weird because just from a beat writing perspective, because as much as the Warriors want to put a positive face on this and say, hey, it's all about the youth movement, getting guys ready for next season, let's be honest here. These games do not matter. They do not matter. I mean, because... Every loss matters, be, Connor. That's because, not right. No, Every no, loss just, matters. Just entire, I'm talking lottery pick aside. I'm talking lottery positioning aside. In terms of like getting ready for next season from a personnel standpoint... It's, it doesn't matter because the guys who are going to potentially be factors next season, um, Eric Paschal, Jordan Poole, they were going to play a lot anyway. So is it really that big a difference between them playing 25 minutes a night and 30 minutes a night? I mean, so that's the, – the reality is they're – all that ma- really matters is what is their percent odds of getting that number one pick. Yeah. Um, and I actually think that this is a good thing in a lot of ways because, and I think we talked about it in the pod last time I was here, what's, what's the value in being a first round loser in the playoffs, Nothing. you know, or a team who's a seven, eight seed that can barely make the playoffs. I would much rather be in a situation where you have a chance of getting the number one pick and you're in a unique situation where you can vault that into being contenders next season because you pair a James Wiseman or the trade value that a James Wiseman has with, you know, a healthy Steph, a healthy Clay, a healthy Draymond, D'Angelo, if he's still around. And that's a legitimately good team. So, actually, and the, Eric Paschal, who I think is going to be a building block 
Worst thing you can do in the NBA is be middling. It's the worst thing. We watched it forever. You know, I mean, what, what a one pick is designed to do, that's what lotteries are designed to do, is get you back into contention. What an eight or nine pick is designed to do is get you back to an eight or nine pick. You know what I mean? Like, literally, that, that's what we would have been stuck with, right. I think, over and over again. So this is best case. And it, it's happening at the perfect time, too, because keep in mind, you know, Steph's 31. Yeah. You know, Draymond's almost 30. He's been dealing with all these issues. Clay's almost 30. Um, and you're bringing in someone potentially who can have a couple years of work playing with these sure. guys and be groomed to become yep. the face of the franchise. That's exactly right. And the, which the, is exactly why the Spurs were the Spurs, you know, with Tim Duncan. And, and if you care enough about the Warriors to listen to this pod, you probably already know this. But a word to the wise this year is about managing expectations. If I hop in a Prius and expect to go 200 miles an hour, that's going to be the worst drive of my life. If I watch this team expecting a championship contention, I'm going to hate every game. Here's a, you know, here's a, a, a spoiler. They're not making the playoffs. They're not winning a championship. So if you're watching for that, stop. You know, but if you're watching to see who Pascal is going to become, you know, there's entertainment there. If you're wanting to see D'Angelo Russell put up a 50 spot, there's entertainment there. You just have to figure out why you're watching and manage those expectations. But let me see how crazy we are being. Bring this back to the Warriors. So it is commonplace. All of us are saying one year, wait, next year, contention. Do the Warriors think that? Is that how the front office is 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 thinking either publicly or behind the scenes? I think so. I think they think they'll they'll have a legitimate shot next season. Now, I don't think they think that's a guarantee by any means. Sure. Uh, but I do think that there's a weird sort of uh, excitement, you know, especially in the front office, you know, because they haven't had a lottery pick since 2012 right. when they took Harrison Barnes with the seventh pick. They – you know they've they've been in situations where they really have they actually haven't had a pick better than twenty eight since then, <laughs> and so now they they have a chance to get a a legitimate franchise difference maker right. um, and pair him with several future Hall of Famers. I mean that's an incredibly unique situation. The only example that I can think of that is similar is the ninety six ninety seven Spurs, sure. where. They had the David Robinson injury and tanked and then got Tim Duncan. And, you know, we all know what happened after that. So, um, and I, I, I don't think there's a Zion Williamson player in this draft, but I, I do think there's a few guys that are legitimate face of the franchise caliber guys. Weissman probably making the most sense because he fills a positional need at exactly. center for the Warriors. All the, all the other top picks in this draft are – are guards, which obviously the Warriors don't really need. Sure, I'm not. I'm not an expert with the salary cap, but the fact that we did the sign and trade and it kind of hard capped us. Next year we'll be f- flush with cash again, and we'll be able right. to go the over Iggy's it. And, next and you know, we would have been able to keep the Iggies and you know the people who will fill out our bench and go back more towards strength and numbers. So I think that along with that will help as well because we'll be able to have a deeper team, which. You know, has always been something of one of our our hallmarks. Of course, these fools have a direction. If the injuries don't happen, they don't know what the hell they're trying to achieve this year. It's an eight seed. That's what their real goal is. That's not what this franchise is about. So the direction they're heading towards now again is another title. It means taking a year off. It means taking advantage of of these injuries. But now they know where they are going. This was a gift in disguise. But let's get a little bit more specific and let's use some of the new segments, right? So Connor, since the last time we had you on, we've instituted some new things. So the 
that we have something to talk about while watching these guys lose, you know, the next 65 games. One of them is a regularly scheduled uh, segment where we look in on how we're feeling about D'Angelo. And because I'm terrible with segment titles, we've called this one D'Angelo Stay or Go. Last <laughs> so week. Bad. It's I mean, it's okay. It's not as bad as this something shirt. something like D'Lo Go or something. Like, let's get some rhyming. Well, it was there. actually D'Lo Stay or Go. I mean, it's so I was close to that. Also, this is not called... Okay. Connor, what do you think about the name of the segment segment? No one gives a shit about your titles, and stop shit my ideas, man. Anyways, for this in particular segment, we uh, we look into how we are currently feeling about D'Angelo, and it acknowledges that it's going to be a shifting field every single time. I will uh, illustrate that by last time I talked about him, I said something along the lines of, I'm not sure he deserves a max contract. I don't think he's necessarily that good. They should trade him immediately. Since then, he has put up 52, 30, 33, 21, while averaging seven assists and four boards. So I may have been wrong. Let's go ahead and set it up this way. If you were uh, front office, if you were Bob Myers, and you had to make the call just right now, it's in a vacuum right now, would you elicit trade offers for D'Angelo because he's been phenomenal. Would you tell D'Angelo you are a pillar of this franchise after what you've just done? You are going nowhere. Or would you stay neutral and just know I'm going to play out the season and see where the hell this thing is going? One of the worst things about the staff injury coming when it did was you didn't have much of a sample size to see how they play together. They only played together yeah. three or four games. Yeah. And in that small sample size, it did not work at all. Mm-hmm. Um, D'Angelo had the worst plus minus in the entire league for someone averaging as many minutes as he. That's not good. As he did, <laughs> um, they 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 just weren't able to be effective together. They weren't able to complement each other. They both had their moments when they were splitting minutes when they were staggering. But do you want to have a situation where? Two of your best players, you have to constantly always stagger their minutes. You want your two of your best players to complement each other and so make each other that better. You? That tells me that it's not an ideal situation, and I don't think that D'Angelo should be a, a long a long term solution. I think that you the good thing about this is that he's gonna pad his numbers. He's gonna have exactly average right. 25, 26 yep. points per game, and someone will want him, and you can hopefully trade him for someone that makes more sense with Steph or or maybe even package him with a lottery pick for a true difference maker. Do you look around now or do you wait to the end of the season? Um, I honestly would probably wait to the end of the season. Um, you know, I Clay's not coming back probably this season and Steph make, probably will come back come February, March. And so you can have at least – more of a sample size to to make sure because they only had three yep, games together. Sure. So I think you you let him play out the season and then you field questions. Maybe uh, you know field offers. Maybe come draft draft sure. night. Yeah, I'm the same. I think you let the season play out and then you package him with whatever our draft pick is. You hope you get the number one pick and then you hope that's enough to pry away a big name like a Giannis or yeah. somebody. Not um, like a Giannis. That's who we're all talking about. I mean, yeah. Let's just go ahead and say his yeah. name out loud. That's who the hell it's going to be. Yeah. Something tells me They'd that... They'd have to give up a lot to get Giannis in a sign and trade, though. Uh, yeah, man. Like everyone, yeah. except uh, for Steph. Um, that's fine. Let's go ahead and do that. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, we, we will... I don't mean that. I don't think they should give up everyone for it, but um, I'm a little bit worried that in addition to having a terrible title, this segment's just going to have the same answer over and over again. 
again, but we'll find out together. Um, let's see. I agree with you guys, but let me articulate it a little bit differently. Let me first say I am real skeptical of a dude who puts up these kind of numbers in losses. I've seen it before. The guy's name was Antoine Jameson. Like I've, and I've Monte Ellis. Okay, I mean I've seen this. I've seen people who look like all stars while they don't win. You know, and I don't know. I won't use the he, word. He led the Nets to the playoffs last year. Not okay, very good. That's, Nets that's fair enough. Um, but I don't want to jump towards fool's gold immediately. But I would do exactly what you guys are talking about. If anyone was giving me trade offers now, I'd hang up immediately. I'm not interested in them. This is the best case scenario. Let him go out there, look like a world beater, hopefully average 30, and then going into the offseason, you can either couple it up and see what else is out there, or a portion of me, and this this is going to back exactly what you were saying, Connor, a portion of me wouldn't mind seeing him not only play with Steph, I want to see him play with Clay. Because the thing that they are really missing is the head of the defense, the the backcourt defense. And if you're putting Steph and D'Angelo out there, you're running into the Monte Ellis problem. Monte said that we'll never win together because we cannot defend in the backcourt. He's right. That's true for D'Angelo Russell, too. You add Clay Thompson in there, it might change. Might not, but it might. That would, you know, that, that pairing, those guys playing together, I'd like to see. And assuming that this is not. Fool's gold, big assumption, that, that D'Angelo can continue to do this, then let's wait. Let's see with all the pieces together. If they fit, phenomenal. If they don't, they don't. You know, it is what it is. Um, Draymond's dungeon. So the idea behind this one's pretty simple. Draymond's not supposed to be here anymore, oh, man. Like He's not supposed to be here. The, the, everyone else is taking time off. Great um, title, by the way. Yeah, thanks. You know what? I really appreciate I, I that. I know. I, really, I, I don't believe that, but I do appreciate you saying it. Um, and here's a stupid <laughs> analogy, but I'll use it. One of my favorite television shows of all time is The Wire. I don't know if you guys watched it, but... One of my favorites. Okay, it's an amazing show. And I'm going to forget the characters' names. But in one of the early seasons, there was an old pair of detectives, these two old white dudes that were best friends. They'd been doing it forever. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, one of them got hurt, gets punched, hurts his neck, no longer has to work at all at all, and is getting disability. And he turns to his friend, this partner, the guy he's been with the entire time, who is now healthy and his best friend is out, and tells him, this is amazing, you should be disabled too. And for the rest of the season, we're treated to scenes where that other guy is almost hurting himself. He's at the at the top of the stairs, looking back, thinking about throwing himself down, and then he doesn't do it at the last moment. And it reminds me of Draymond. He's not supposed to be here. You know, this is the year everybody's taking off. This is the Paschal year. This isn't Draymond having to suffer with these guys. He should be kicking it with Clay and Steph and doing whatever. So, I am really interested in his mentality. And that is even further true, because the last time we had you on, you had this amazing observation. It was right after the training camp. And what you did was... You liken Draymond's demeanor to the actual team's success. At first, Draymond was really optimistic. Then he played with these dudes, and he wasn't so optimistic. And now we've seen why. Huge precursor to this question. Where is Draymond right now? Men- like mentally speaking. We saw his first ejection, right, <laughs> against right. Utah. So how would you describe his mental space, at least as far as you can tell? I think it's a process, but I think he's trying to come to terms with reality um i think he knows that have you seen him trying to throw himself down any <laughs> stairs yet or <laughs> i i do think that he's he's in a really good place in his personal life he's about to get married uh to a woman he you know feels is the love of his, of his life he's got a kid that he loves he, i think he's he just signed that big contract so he's he talks a lot about keeping perspective and you know things aren't that bad this is just basketball and it's like it feels like he's trying to convince himself when he says that it's like 
You know, it's just bad. You never like to hear that from one of your basketball players. Uh, you know, like since the only thing we really care about from you right now, Draymond, is basketball. I don't know. Yeah, that's and the I, most I know thing. a lot of Warriors fans have been frustrated because he's their only former All Star, not counting D'Angelo, available, and he hasn't done much of anything. Super not fair to him, though, right? And, and 538, uh, the stats-centric part of uh, ESPN, had a really interesting story a couple weeks ago. And it basically explained why Draymond is a guy who requires great players around him to be great. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's an interesting discussion because does, does that mean he's not truly great because he requires other great players? Um, but the way the way he plays, it subsists on other people being in the right place at the right time. His big strength defensively is his help side defense. If guys don't know where they are in the court, they don't know what they're doing. He's not going to be able to have great help side defense. Um, And he is facilitating, you know, he, he can pass the open guy. If if he misses, it's not going to be an assist. Um, I would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive offensively because he he hasn't really even been trying to shoot and they don't have a lot of other options. Um, so he's actually sadly one of their better offensive options. His taking shots at Draymond this year, I think, is remarkably unfair. And we've talked about that a little bit on the show and that he does need greatness around him to take advantage of his own greatness. But I think that that just mischaracterizes his his skill set. It's like recognizing someone as an amazing driver, but if you give him a burger car, he's not going to be able to win the race. That's who he is. He needs other fools yeah. around him. It just, you know, it just is. It's a practical reality. But going back to the Do you original, think that makes him less of a player? Because it's an interesting conversation. Like, I've heard people say, like, the reality is Draymond's just kind of like a P.J. Tucker type. Well, I mean, what do we... You know, if he he wasn't drafted by the Warriors, he would never be an all-star. He would never be... How do we value players? Is it contribution to a championship? Because I would argue what he can do is as valuable to a championship as a leading scorer. Is it the ability to be the leading scorer on a team that is Well, then, no. He can't do that. You know, is he the person that you use to turn around a franchise on his own? No. So... As someone who's had an opportunity to watch a team transition from terrible to championship, I think he's an amazing player. You need him to help make those transitions. And then he helped another transition. We were in from the bitch of the league. We were the Mike Dunleavy. Everybody made fun of us. We really were. We were hard. now the assistant GM. Which I cannot stand. And, I, and, 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 and I've me. heard people blaming this season oh, on me. Mike I blame him. I 100% blame him. <laughs> but but, but um, to before we get too far to bearing the lead, Draymond's mentality is also one of the things that brought this team out of the dark ages. That is remarkably important, too. So, you know, it's intangibles is what we're talking about. You know, and, and you need success in order to view the intangibles. How would you answer that? Yeah, I mean, I think two things. One, we were talking about Draymond potentially being the best defensive player in the league, in the history of the league. And they were like, is he better than Rodman? And it's interesting to see three weeks into this season just how quickly that goes away. He's the center so, of the worst defensive team in the league. Exactly. So I think to, to Connor's point, it's like he's a great player around the right players at the same time. Is he somebody that can carry a team by himself defensively no. or offensively? No. But that's not what he's been asked to do. He, he's also a guy who requires stakes. I yeah. mean, this is a guy who, his past two regular seasons, he was not particularly great. 
Um, but he, he raised his game to a total another level in the playoffs because right. the stakes heightened. And there are zero stakes this season. I think he's having a real hard time getting up for these games. And I understand that. If you're in this type of situation, it really comes – it starts to feel like a job. Yeah, It's like, why am I playing this game beyond the fact that I'm getting paid? Dude, especially if the people who you've won championships are not playing with you, right. even though they're still on the team. You know, I mean, like, that's the thing that would drive me crazy. Just personally, you know, it would, there would be an internal thing. I could never say it out loud. How could you? But I would be super frustrated that Steph gets to stay at home in his $31 million mansion <laughs> and watch these losses piling up and have an occasional participation on Instagram, but he doesn't actually have to be there. And I am there having my legacy tarnished because I can no longer be considered the best defensive player in the league. Of course, that would drive me crazy. Man. That's why I think he has to go full on Jackie Moon player coach. <laughs> Like just meaning come in, what? define that for me. To, meaning he just plays sparingly throughout, but he's really there just to mentor and coach the other guys. And really, I, I kind of think it might get to that point where they they're giving him a lot of rest days. There's a lot of because he he legitimately has multiple injuries right now that you could say warrant him sitting. Sure, um, just make something up. He punched. I honestly think, now I he has to sit out for the rest of the like, year. He should be a Jared Dudley type this season where he's just kind of a, a pseudo sure. assistant coach. And let me uh, let me put a bow on this conversation with this question. So the last time we all spoke together about Draymond Green, I gave you guys an over-under. Points per game, 14. Looks like that one is pretty much absolute unquestioned under, right? So let's change it. What will happen more? Ejections for Draymond or games in which he scores 14 or more? Ooh, that's a good question. Thanks, man. Um, Almost as good as the title. <laughs> I mean, it, it ejections even for someone like Draymond don't happen that they don't, often. No, I mean, neither do fourteen point games apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, offensively he really needs the space that Steph provides to be to be anything offensively. What's he averaging like seven a game right now? Yeah, about yeah. That's bad. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say he'll have more fourteen point games because. Let's say he has like four, four 14-point <laughs> games. He's not going to get ejected four times. So Yeah, I'm going 14-point games as well. I think it'll be close, but he has to score more. If if, if we're going to get anywhere close to about over 15 wins. I, don't know I also think he's going to kind of resign, even more so resign himself to the situation and stop arguing with refs because he's just not going to care as yeah. much. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. Um, or he could just go full this you know just start like piling up as many technicals as he can so he has yeah it's weird it's weird i'd love to be out there boys but my version of throwing myself down some stairs is taking a shot at a ref um i think you guys are right i mean the the question was more for entertainment purposes than for real purposes the idea that he gets like eight or nine ejections is probably not realistic uh but it was worth asking let's get to my last segment here give him the bag looking at these young guys training camp that's what we're saying right? right so one guy has distinguished himself. We've talked about him a little bit, Pascal. You wrote an amazing article about his relationship with Donovan Mitchell just recently. Tell me about Pascal, personality-wise. Who is this guy? Yeah, I have a little bit bigger profile on him coming out in a couple couple days. But he he's a guy who, and I'm actually really happy this happened. I, I wrote the, uh, a few a few weeks ago. I wrote a story on house hunting in in the Bay Area and. I ended up having lunch with Pascal for that story 
it, it, it was supposed to be something else, but it kind of devolved into that. And I ended up not using any scenes from that lunch for the story. But I'm actually really glad we had lunch because I got to know him sure. on a personal level. A lot of the conversation wasn't about the story. It was just about his life. And little did I know then that he'd end up being this super relevant player on the team. And he is a really genuine, intelligent, smart good dude i mean he he comes from his mom was a social worker his dad was in security you know grew up with the right christian values uh, kind of like steph in that way humble a lot quieter than steph though he he's a jew that makes me a little bit he, nervous he likes to he like in his free time he he likes to hang out and play video games by himself i mean uh, he's kind of a loner uh, uh, a little bit um who's his best friend on the team Best friend on the team is probably Jordan Poole. He and Jordan Poole are tight. Uh, he's cool with Spellman because they went to Villanova together. Um, he's cool with all the young guys. All the sure. young guys are cool with each other. Like they actually go hang out and like go to movies and all those things. Yeah, Jackson concerts. <laughs> Stop saying that, dude. I mean, if you want to fight, we can fight, but I don't. It doesn't have no, to be you, about this. I remember you. You were right though, when you. Yes, when, I'm right. Of course, I was right. About you learned that. a lot from that anecdote, and. Here we are. I was okay. Finally, you know what? I take back all the crap I've talked to about you. Your <laughs> observations are brilliant, Connor, and please keep them coming. Um, you know, he kind of reminds me of, and it's it's a weird thing to say, but his game, Pascal's game, reminds me of um, Big Dog of Glenn Robinson Sr. Ooh, I like um, that. You know, and like it, it makes lot. it even more entertaining that his son is He's on better the team. defensively. He, he absolutely is, but I guess I should I should be more specific. It's his offensive game. It's yeah. his mix of bully inside play with actually a fairly feathery touch from about 18 feet out. I, I enjoy watching that. He's uh, got that that New York basketball mentality. Yeah. Like He loves ISO. He loves attacking you. And he's so strong physically. Is he surprised by his success? Honestly, I think so. Because when I talked How to him, not be? I talked to him a few weeks ago. He told me straight up, like, I'm totally cool being a role guy. Like, just whatever, you know. I'm just happy to be in the league. Second rounder. And then a couple weeks, like a week later, he's he's putting up 34 points and 13 rebounds against the, against Charlotte and and making PJ Harrison, who was a lottery pick, his. Bitch, Which, I mean, sorry, Maxime, you're gonna need to no, no, leave that, that out. Maxime, you keep that. He completely and- <laughs> just destroyed him. What's your guy's personality type? I'll keep it personal. That would make me hella nervous. If I was a 41 pick and like the expectations were really low, and I started murdering it, and now the Warriors are putting me out. I'm I am the face of the franchise. I am answering the reporters' questions. Outwardly, I'd say all the right things. Internally, I'd be terrified. There's no way I can keep this up. This isn't the person I was supposed. To. I'd be I'd be super worried about. It. Who would you guys be? I would revel in it and I would embrace it yeah. uh, because I have a lot of confidence in myself and I'm like, I deserve this, you know, <laughs> like I, I am ready for this. My everything has led to this moment. I, 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 I'm going to capitalize. And and I, I think that he, answer made me seem like a giant bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and don't bleep that one, Maxine. He, he uh, and I think that's why why he's great and why I'm confident he's going to be a great player for this team for a long time. He truly believes in himself and he has confidence, but he's also unselfish, which is a, a right. fine line. And um, the to me, the, the greatest thing to happen during this injury plague stretch is the fact that 
he was given the opportunity to showcase himself. And there is zero doubt in my mind that this guy who you took at 41 is going to be a key cog for years to come. And that's huge. I mean, think about the 41 pick. I've done research in the past 25 years. There's been two players at 41 who've done anything. Nikola Jokic, Katino Mobley. I didn't know Jokic went 41. That's good knowledge. There is a possibility. Talk about spin. Talk about unnecessarily optimism. And we're going to need your take on what I just asked you. But there is a possibility that this season is one of the biggest reasons the Warriors dynasty was able to last as long as it did. More so than Steph. More so than than any of the sightings with Andre. I mean, like, real deal. This actually might allow them to not only reset and bring in actual talent, but to develop young talent who will then play role-player roles on a championship team. We will see. Um, Marcus, who would you be? If, if you were Pascal, you were having this success, how would you do it? <laughs> um, if I'm him, I would enjoy it as well. I think. God he, damn it. I'm the only psychopathic <laughs> person here? It's not why I asked the question. But it's because of the situation. I mean, you have a role model in Draymond, who also went later in the draft and is a great person for you to model your game after. There. Yeah, exactly. And I think you sit there and you play, you know this season has much lower expectations. You play as well as you can. Anything you do well is house money. Anything you don't do is what you're expected you to do. You wouldn't be nervous at all? You no, have those big I, games. Because I know who's coming back next season. No, I, mean, I know that I'd be on the team. I'd played well enough and showed enough promise that I will be there next year. And then I have the Splash Brothers coming back. I have a healthy Draymond coming back. Maybe Kavan. You know, like, I'm, I'm playing with players that all of a sudden elevate my game. And I mean I'm, this year. Yeah. The next game, you put up 34 points. The Warriors now, you are now the person who goes out there and talks to the media, right? You are, and then you go back and now you are now the face of this team, the defending Western Conference finals or Western Conference champions. You wouldn't be nervous at all about the success you'd had previously? No, because there's, there's yeah, you're playing with house either. money. Yeah, it's I wouldn't either. I was money. just testing you guys, and you guys both <laughs> passed my test. Congratulations. Nicely handled. Let's just get away from this subject. It makes me hate both of your guys' uh, complete health um, outside of Pascal. Who else? Has anybody else distinguished themselves? You know, so again, tryout, training camp. What have we learned 12 games in? Who um, else? I've, I've been pleasantly surprised with Glenn Robinson. Uh, he, I think, has been as good as you could hope. I mean, he hasn't been elite by any standard, but uh, he's been a plus defender. Um, and he's, he's, he's a smart basketball player who's in the right spots offensively. And for a minimum contract guy who was almost out of the league a few months ago, uh, that that's a win. Um, Alec Burks has shown that he can score. Um, you know, I don't expect either of those guys to be on the, the roster next next year. If we're talking about people that could be building blocks, I think that I've honestly been really impressed with Kai Bowman, a guy who was undrafted out of Boston College. He... He plays like someone who believes he belongs. He's confident. He's been surprisingly good defensively. He's strong physically. Uh, He's in the right places at the right time. He had a couple really nice offensive games. And, And he's a guy who I'm looking at right now. I'm like, that guy's a legitimate NBA player who belongs to in the league for a long time. And the fact that I, you can say that about an undrafted rookie is a, is, is a huge compliment. You know what I like about Bowman a lot is that he can dictate pace. You know, there's not a lot of players, especially with his pedigree, who can come in and change a game just by his own physical gifts. And Kai Bowman does. Yeah. He comes in there and accelerates 
everything immediately. Yeah, I, I like Kai Bowman as well, and I, I liken him to uh, Quinn Cook. That's better on defense. Yeah, maybe not I, quite as good of a shooter, but yeah, I agree you know that. he's he's developing that role where he comes in, he's like a solid contributor, but also not just on the offensive end. Like you see him pick up players, he he does a good job in switching and making sure he's helping off ball. So. Um, I just like him, and he, he was a surprise. I remember in earlier pods, I was like, yeah, we should definitely get rid of Kai and find a way to keep McKinney, and he's been pleasantly surprising. Is it weird? McKinney, that, who's done nothing in Cleveland, by the way. He's got yeah. any minutes. Is it weird that I was resentful of Quinn Cook and the success he's having on the Lakers while watching the game Wednesday night? That, like, I just didn't like that he had, like, found success somewhere. And it wasn't like the, he would have signed with the Warriors. The Warriors decided not to bring him back, and I was still sick enough they to be They wanted to bring him back, but that was another fallout from the – Sign and trade for D'Angelo. There you go. Now, Dad, look, I'm sick, dude. I'm, I'm a really sick person. There's nothing I can do. Let's put a fine head on this. Let's make some decisions, okay? You're Bob Myers. You get to make the call. Only one of these two will be on the team long-term. Alec Burks or Glenn Robinson III? Um, Glenn Robinson III. Uh, he's better defensively. And, and really all Alec Burks really provides you is a scoring punch and – when they're this team's fully healthy, hopefully they're They'll not going to score. need it. You yeah, know, yeah. um, I mean, he's helped this team be competitive in, in games they still lose huh. just by being that number two option to, to D'Angelo as a guy who's a slasher can get buckets. But if you look at his career, he's only gotten buckets on really bad teams. Yeah. And there's a reason because he's not he's not a great player. Yeah. Um, so I would say Glenn Robinson. Nice. I'm going the other way. I'm going Alec. I've always been a fan of his, especially in Utah when he used to light us up. So. Um, I think we would need that punch when Steph and Clay are back and there are those moments where they're not getting us buckets and we need that additional spark off the bench. I think he gives it to us. Bad news, MT. Wrong answer. <laughs> it is absolutely Glenn Robinson that has nothing to do with him being on my fantasy team and me wanting to have him you, continue to play. There's a fantasy basketball league that has... Oh, Glenn Robinson I, 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 That feels like a rhetorical question since I just told you that he is on my fantasy basketball team. But even more than that, Warriors are swimming in guards. They are not swimming in, in small forwards. If we're going from positional need and long yeah, term and I, need. I, entering the season, I thought that Alec Burst could play small forward, but he's truly just a shooting guard. Oh, 100%. He's, a he's not good enough defensively. Yeah, he's an assassin. He's a, he's a scorer off the bench. Um, you, Connor, wrote an amazing piece earlier this year called Willie's Reckoning, and it was about Willie Colley-Stein. We've talked a little bit about the time you spent with him. I know for sure you know all about him, which is why I feel really comfortable asking you this question. Is he trying? Because from what I can tell, he is not giving a so far this year. Um, I think he is trying. <laughs> um, and I'll be honest, I, I like him on a personal level, obviously, but I've I've kind of watched these games and thought, I get why the Kings fans didn't like him. There he's was a, just he just doesn't bring a lot to the table from a basketball standpoint. He just he really doesn't. There was moments, there's a, a moment in that Utah game where Donovan Mitchell went coast to coast, entered the lane, and then dunked. And Willie Collierstein was in the game, and it looked as if he was a really lucky Utah fan who was allowed to watch the game from the paint. Like, he just immediately got out of the way and was like, that's a really nice dunk, and then took the ball out. I And I, and, and I, I obviously learned a lot from that Kansas trip, and I, and I don't mean to throw him under the bus because I, I do like him as a person, but I did feel kind of one of my takeaways from that trip was – this is a guy who I'm not going to say he doesn't like basketball, but he does not love it. Yep. 
the way a lot of NBA players yeah, I can do. see that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he talked a lot about his high school football career and, and, <laughs> and wanting to make the NFL, but he's seven feet tall, so that wasn't going to happen. And, and so his, his physical measurements and his, his, his skill set just lent itself to basketball, so he became a basketball player. But he was not a guy who sought out basketball. He did not love basketball growing up. And I think that if he truly had this unyielding love for basketball, he'd be a better player. That typing noise was the sound of me dropping Willie Colley-Stein for my fantasy team <laughs> because he is also on there. Give me a take. WCS. We talked all about him before the, the season started. What do you think? Um, he's just frustrating to me. I've, I've never been seven feet tall and been able to dunk in the NBA before, but... If I have to watch one more pick and roll where he catches the ball on a roll and has a lane and a guard helps from the weak side who's six <laughs> four and jumps and he jumps up and does a Jordan underneath scoop shot underneath him instead of just dunking on him and trying to break his forearm in the rim, I'm gonna scream. I'm like, dude, you're seven feet tall. Just hammer it home one time and they will respect it. But and defensively, he does not seem to like blocking shots. And that's the only reason he is on the floor. Those two yeah. things that we just talked about. He's a rim runner and a rim protector. And I mean, I went, right now, I went back and looked at his old like NBA draft.net profile, you know, like his strengths and weaknesses entering the draft. And it was like, this guy had, could, could be a, an elite rim protector. That is why he was a top <laughs> 10 pick. Did it say anything about his high school football career <laughs> <laughs> but I think what really called that out too was watching him play against JaVale McGee and JaVale did did exactly what I was hoping Willie Colley Stein would do he runs to the rim he protects it he blocks shots and when he gets down low he just dunks it or he misses it and he does a crazy when, play when they signed Willie Colley Stein in July I, I had a story in, a, in a, an analytical piece where basically the whole premise of the story was he's a Better. Billy Colley Stein is a, a better, better version JaVale of Javale. That's McGee. what we all thought. And I'm starting to question that. No, and there's I, not. Why I starting to? You're starting to conclude that, dude. Like, after we watched that last game, and I'll throw him in there as long as I'm admitting what kind of a sick f I am, I was also frustrated with JaVale's success watching that watching that Lakers game. I didn't like seeing he that. He had a 18 and 16 or something. He had a great like game. <laughs> he had a great game. I don't know what it was. I just told you <laughs> that it really bothered me. Let me give you guys one more. All right. So, again, you are Bob Myers, you are a decision maker. You get to decide which of these two players will be a long-term portion of the Warriors. In this instance, it is Jordan Poole versus Kai Bowman. Who do you take? I'm going to let you go first. I'm going Kai Bowman. I mean, I don't... Despite his hair? Yes. Because of his hair, for one reason. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. This is something I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, so the fir- through the first few weeks of the season, Jordan Poole has not shot the ball well. And sub twenty percent is good. A, that's yeah. an understatement. Yeah, and when you look at the shots, they're not shots that are like rimming out and close, and like oh, it's just a good shooter that's not that's in a slump. They're shots that are missing long. They're missing right. They're missing left. Um, and I, I just wonder, like, how what's the leash for a rookie in this situation? Like, does he get the green light for the entire season, and then they just evaluate it after that, or do you start to pull him back and say? You don't have the green light. Like, I saw the first play of the game, last game, they ran the set play for him to get a, a three off the screen. So, it seems like they believe in him, but the shot just doesn't look like it's going to come around. And I wonder, like, yeah. what's the leash? What's 
how long do you give that to come around versus pulling it back and saying you don't have the green light anymore you have you have to wait until you have an open shot it seems like Steve is trying really hard to instill confidence in him which is good coaching especially given their situation that they need him to play and hopefully be productive um, so so Steve is is trying to say hey we believe in you we're gonna call plays for you we're gonna we're gonna let you get as many shots as you want but I can tell knowing Steve a little bit and just just reading his body language he's getting to the point now where he's like Dude, come on, man. Like, really? Like, it's been a few weeks now, and you haven't done anything. And, you know, keep in mind, this is a guy who his first couple preseason games went off. You know, he's shown that he can do it, um, but he's so streaky. And when they took him 28th overall, my first thought when I saw that was, Really? Because I had studied the draft pretty closely. I, I knew who he was. And my thing was, this is a guy whose who's trademark skill is one thing that he's really not even that great at. Yeah. Like, his big thing is his three-point shooting, but he shot 35 36% at Michigan as a complimentary guy. That, to me, does not warrant a first-round pick. Right. And um, the interesting thing about that draft was it was, it was so fluid – and Kai Bowman was actually ahead of Jordan Poole in a lot of mock drafts. And then he goes undrafted. And my and I remember telling people when I heard that they were signing him to a two-way, I honestly think Kai Bowman's better than Jordan Poole. And the the start of the season has reinforced that in my mind. And because he does things that aren't solely dependent on making shots. He can defend. He can pass. He's smart. And... My thing with Jordan Poole is, okay, if you're not making shots, you're not making shots. All right, whatever. Do something else to impact the game and help them win a game. Right. He has done nothing. He can't do that. He doesn't have any of that. He's done absolutely nothing. He doesn't have any of that. To answer both questions and focus on the second one more, who do I keep between those two? Kai Bowman, really, between the two of them? Probably neither, right? But to answer your question, what kind of leash do I give him? If I'm keeping him this year, infinitely long. Here's why. Who he is in the league... Seventh man, he's a score off the bench. He's not going to be a starter for this team. Not, no, not as a guard and probably nowhere else. So we need to know what kind of a microwave player is he, right? Can he come in and actually get hot in any instance? This year is a loss. We're going to lose, you know, we're going to lose 60 games. Let him come in there and let's see. Let's see. Is there a version of pool where he can actually make shots? You know, does that happen? Or is he a guy who just forces them up far too often? We need to know that. I'll tell you right now, as a guy who plays pickup, Jordan Poole is that guy I will sit out two or three games so I do not have to play with him. We'll never get the ball. He's going to shoot it every damn time. He's going to be like super frustrating to play with. So, you know, that's not a, a necessary compliment, but I'd give him a long leash. Let's see who the hell he is. He he to me his ceiling is like a poor man's Nick Young. That's interesting. Yeah. Um he he's like a poor man's Nick Young and honestly yeah, that makes sense. He's going to need to figure this out soon because this is a major opportunity. He's getting an extended run. He's, he's going too rookie. fast. He hasn't slowed down. He's going 1,000 miles per hour, he, and with the minutes he's getting, that should have slowed as, down As Steve already. put it one time, he said he's not seeing the pictures, yeah. which is true. Because yeah. if you watch film of him, it's like, okay, that the way this this offensive set is, run, is developing, you should pass it out to that open guy in the corner, or you should dribble – you should dribble in and kick it out or something. 
but instead he's just hucking this contested three pointer <laughs> that has no chance of going in. Eight seconds into the shot clock, and it's like, dude, you just turned down like five good options to take a bad <laughs> option. And look, the guy's twenty years old. I'm not. I don't want to be too harsh on him, but. You're in the NBA. You're getting paid millions of dollars. You, that, with that comes this type of scrutiny. And part of me really feels like this is a guy who is not going to last past his rookie contract. You answer it. Give, give me an answer to both questions. Kai Bowman versus Jordan Poole, and what kind of a leash would you give him? Um, I think I would go with Kai Bowman the way he's playing right now. I mean, it's a small sample size, so it's probably not fair to to Jordan. But if you get highlights in your hair, by the way, we will make this a video podcast. (laughs) I think they work for him (laughs) for Marcus or for Kai Bowman. For Kai Bowman, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will get highlights. Um, Yeah, and I can't afford to live in San Francisco, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) most of us can. And the leash I give him, I I agree. I think you give him a long leash. I wouldn't give him an infinite leash, but. Because I would rather let Pascal get that, you know, leash a little bit longer if you're going to give it to anybody. But, um, yeah, I just I worry about how how that game will translate. I mean, a poor man's Nick Young is a good analogy, but even Nick Young, when he was coming out of USC, would go to the hole and dunk on you if you weren't paying attention. Like, I don't see that type of aggression and ability from Jordan. He just camps around the the three-point line a lot and he'll take it to the hole but he'll shoot a floater before he goes up and kind of gets fouled if we're trying to identify a score off the bench from this young team in this young season it's not him right it's pascal i mean i mean it's it's pretty simple at least as far as what we've seen so far so we'll we'll allow that to play out shining moment gentlemen our last new segment I don't want to go through the painstaking details of every loss. There's no need to do that. But if there are moments, things that stand out, I would like to talk about those. And this segment tries to identify those. I will give us one. If you guys have one, I'd love to hear it. Mine has to do with D'Angelo Russell. So there was a moment against Minnesota where D'Angelo grabbed a rebound, went around his back twice, went down the floor, double pumped twice, and then put up a three and hit it. What really stuck out to me, it was in the third quarter, and at that point, all points up until then had been scored by Wiggins and Towns. The confidence he showed on that play, not caring the dominance that happened on the other side, is the exact kind of confidence that a superstar needs on his way to 52 points. And if what I'm doing is evaluating who D'Angelo Russell is and how he can succeed in a league that is stacked against him, especially with this team, that play stuck out to me. This guy is a baller when he needs to be a baller. He's a walking bucket. It's worth saying. Anything? Anything stick out to you guys? Any plays that are worth uh, revisiting? It's not a, a specific play. But it's it's kind of a, a, a thing I've seen happen a lot already this season, which is... Someone on the opposition just totally barrels down the key for a wide open layup, and Draymond just looks around puzzled and is like, "Really, guys? Like, really? Like he puts his hands out and he looks around. And he's like, is this reality? Is this my life? Like, really? Like because." Every time that happens, it was like something simple just totally was botched. Like someone just didn't rotate when they obviously had to rotate. And Draymond is a basketball savant. It's like it's like being a professor at, who has a PhD in math and, and you're forced to, to, to study something with someone who 
is like struggling to pass algebra. That's absolutely right. Only it's because, like, dude, really? Only because you attacked my title earlier. I'm going to try to defeat your analogy. What it is far more like is like going from being a head chef at a Michelin star restaurant to being a head chef at a Burger King. Like you, you have a, a sense of what should be happening. You were surrounded by excellence. Everyone else is doing what they needed to do. And now you're surrounded by 18 year old burgers who have no idea what the f- they should be doing in any instance. <laughs> Suck on that. That was an amazing analogy. Better, yeah. yeah, I felt pretty good about it. No, I felt pretty good about it. Um, for me, my play that stands out is a far more innocuous one and um, takes a while to get there. But Avery Bradley goes to the hole and lays it up and Marquise Chris tried to block the shot. This is taking too long to get there. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I just sat there and I was like, wow, like that was why Chris was brought in. Like he was supposed to be our size. He was supposed to be our rim protector. And I just wondered, I was like, should we have given up Chris for and let McKinney go? And I know McKinney's struggling in Cleveland and, you know, like he is duplicative of, of some of the other players we already have, like Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson. But I just, I don't know, like the, the preseason was amazing. And if you look at that, then it made sense why you would keep Chris and let McKinney go. But now that the real season has started, it just, he hasn't delivered the same way. And I'm just like, oh man, is that, do you think that's just because that's who he is? Or is it something that will also turn the corner once better players start playing with Marquise? Should they have cut him? Marquise? Uh-huh. Um, based off the sample size they had in preseason, no. I, I, I thought, I honestly was super high on him entering the season. I was like, yep, we all were. this guy's for real. The, the, and they the, need him, we said. you know. The, like, the interesting thing about Marquise is that Part of why he was almost out of the league entering priest entering the training camp with the Warriors was he had never played with a tr- truly elite players. And when he was given the opportunity to play with Steph, this skill set came out that no one had ever seen before, which That's was right. he was amazing at dribble handoffs and, and, and supplying someone like Steph. Yep. And so he was... He and, and also running the floor with Steph and, and throwing down alley oops. That's and so, a great take because one of the so, things we said was his ability to set screens for Steph. Right, right. We all so love that. He, with Steph on the floor, he was really effective. And even in the first few games, he wasn't as good as he was in the preseason, but he showed flashes. And then when Steph got injured, he's just been nothing. Like he hasn't done anything. And so the reality is, Steph's obviously in the long term plans. And so. You know, you hope that Chris can be a factor when Steph comes back. Chris or Kai Bowman? Right now, Kai uh. Bowman. I mean, Chris hasn't done anything. No, he, no, he has not. Um, and what's even more frustrating to back what Marcus has been saying, one of the reasons we all realized that Marcus, Chris should be on this team is because we needed rim protection. Right, because we needed all the things that we had lost with Looney's injury, and we were worried about the front court and all those things we needed him for. He has not done anything with, you know, that that has not happened. But perhaps with Steph's uh, reemergence, we can see his value to the team. Is essentially what you're saying? Yeah, no, I and it, it's just, it's a really weird thing because no one knew him as like a dribble handoff right. king or yeah, anything, right. you know, that was not part of the the scouting report on him. He hadn't been given the opportunity. And, and Steve was blown away by it. And that's really the biggest reason why he got the the job. Um, the, even though 
Alfonso McKinney's not really doing anything in Cleveland, there's definitely a part of me that's like, Alfonso could help you more right now than than Chris. That was my point. <laughs> <laughs> to stick with Marcus's point, so we are now pushing more than an hour, and Marcus has told me nobody wants to listen to a podcast for longer than an hour. I don't know if you're right about that, but we are pushing it fast. So recognizing that Marcus is the producer of the show, let's flip into rapid answers, my boys. Uh, here are some questions, and I want your first impression. Here's the first one. Who will play more games this year, Steph or Clay? Steph. Why? He said rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Give me a why. Um, I think Clay sits out the whole season. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think Steph will almost definitely come back this season, March or April, and Clay will not. I actually know for a fact Clay will not. So, Steph. It would have been a push for me. It would, like, I, I, would, I would have assumed that neither were going to play a single game. It would have been zero versus zero. But because of all the recent attention that Steph's return got, you know, there was the report from uh, Bleacher Report that he was not going to play a single game. And then oh they, they went after Steph. So yeah, and then Steph had to say, no, I'm expecting to come back only because of that. I think Steph's going to come back before that happened. I think he would have sat the entire time on a scale of one to ten, boys. How ridiculous is this headline? And for the record, it came from a Lakers site after Wednesday night's win. Quote, LeBron James has ended the Warriors dynasty once and for all after leading the Lakers to a 120-94 win. I say, out of 1 to 10, about 55. <laughs> yeah, 55 for me as well. He he ended the Santa Cruz Warriors dynasty. Yes. He, he's not playing the Golden State Warriors No, right that's now. exactly like, right, dude. That's 100% right. It's like uh, beating the Warriors without the Splash Brothers is like winning a car race against a car that only had three wheels, dude. Exactly. Like, congratulations, but I'm not sure you want to trumpet it to the world. Yeah, I mean, that just totally ignores so many important facts. It's unreal, so... Ridiculous how, headline. How many wins this year? It's like two and ten right now, right? So, honestly, seventeen. <laughs> seventeen to twenty. <laughs> That's what we're looking at. Seriously, though, give which me, which would maybe give you the number one pick? Maddie Stats is out there listening, so give me a specific number. Seventeen. I'm gonna say eighteen. Nice. I was going nineteen. I, I don't think they get to 20. I mean, I'll watching say, these games, it's like it's so clear that for them to even have a chance, everything has to go right. And how often does everything go right? right. For, for them to beat Portland in that game, literally everything went right. And it was this amazing thing. And it was like out of a movie. And, and <laughs> you know, Eric Paschal had 34 points and 13 rebounds. How often is that going to happen? Not. I say 22, far more importantly, because I haven't told you this yet. We had Matty Stats back on. He always gives us our percentages at the end of the year. I am happy to tell you that amongst all the beat writers who came on the show, you had the highest win percentage. So congratulations, I mean, big man. me versus... Mark Medina. Yeah, that, that a bully. I'm just oh, kidding. I love fantastic. Mark Medina. God, I hope you're listening he to this, He does not Mark. know what he's talking we about. We will find out soon, and I love that answer as well. Which leads me to the final <laughs> and probably most important question. So, we just talked about what this year will be. We also have talked to this entire podcast about this year meaning nothing, and next year meaning everything, which leads me to this question. How many wins, boys, next year? Ooh, Man, we're projecting at that point. Well, of course so, we are. There's so That's many. The definition of there's projecting. There's so that. many what ifs. <laughs> uh, I think they'll be back in the 50-something range. Okay. Uh, I think they'll they'll be between 50 and 58. 
it, it is a testament to how spoiled I've become that like you say that and I get kind of disappointed I wanted a six in front of it you know what I mean like I like only because I, I, I realize it's insane you guys don't have to both shake your head so violently I'm just telling you that I've become spoiled what's your call 51 that's a wrong answer uh, 22 this year so to make Maddie's stash job easier I'll just throw out a number I'm going to say 50 and, and Maddie if you're listening to this of course you are let's value this let's give this like three times value because we're talking way in the future in real projection I will say 57 because I do actually believe in the power of the Splash Brothers and the power of Jason Wiseman even though I've never seen him play a single minute and the power of the Warriors you know what sucks general. for the Warriors is that new rule that was installed last year which the, is the draft rule it's down to 14% so they're even even playing field for the worst four teams, it's like if you're the worst team, you should no. get the so highest odds. We, right? I was I was literally hoping to look up that rule before I did today's pod and was too lazy and didn't didn't actually do that research. Remind me, what is that rule? The, so it no it used longer to be waiting. that the worst team got the best chances and the second worst team got the second best chances. So I believe the worst team used to get like a twenty five percent chance, yeah. something like that. And now it's down to 14 and so because they're trying to discourage tanking. And so the worst four teams all get even odds of 14. And so, you know, that might end up being a good thing for the Warriors because the Warriors might be the fourth worst team in the league. Yep. Um, but if they're the worst, you know, you're going to kind of be like, dang, bro. Yeah. Oh, they are the worst. They, they currently <laughs> are, right? Yeah. yeah. They, they are currently worse only because New York has not been given an opportunity to play 12 games. With that remarkably pessimistic ending, let me go ahead and say huge fun. True every week, certainly true this week. You want to reach out to us, you know where to hit us. We are at wareshuddle at gmail.com if you have any complaints. Um, or criticisms or any positivity. We'll take that as well. We are also at Warriors Huddle if you are a Twitter person. Far more importantly, Connor, love you, always love you. I'm not alone. For people who need more Connor in their life. Yeah, Twitter at con underscore cron. I tweet out everything, so you can find all my work there. Um, also, sfchronicle.com backslash warriors. And then uh, I also have my own podcast. I've been slacking, man. I've, I'm almost on two weeks without doing it. Uh, it's really bad. Uh, warriors Off Court on iTunes. Um, I am actually recording a podcast tomorrow. So. Boom. If we had the sound bar and Maxine was with us today, I'd give you the Princess Bride boo for not having additional ones. Since I don't, I can't. I'll leave it with this, boys. Is the stain looking any better? Not at all. Yeah, go f*** really like, yourself. It's like time didn't elapse. <laughs> Why would it change? It's a stain. It's not a wet spot. With that in mind, go Warriors. And hopefully, we'll see you next week. Good, good.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.